Hello, everyone. Thank you guys so much for listening today. My name is Mike Hopkins. I'm here at 17th Street Christian Church in Corbin, Kentucky. And what if I told you that you are a part of the most powerful family that's ever existed? Here's a fact that many of us don't realize. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you've given your life over to him, you are a part of God's family. You have been adopted into the most powerful family, the most resourceful family, the most influential family, the most important and powerful family that's ever existed. You are an heir to God's kingdom. But here's the problem. Many of us aren't acting like it. If we look around the world, if we look at the world around us today, we we can see very easily people who are a part of powerful families or the top of powerful organizations. Those people who have power and influence, they behave differently because they know that they have power. I think the problem is many of us, we belong to this powerful family, but we're not acting like heirs. We're acting like we are still enslaved to the world. That's what today's message is all about. This is our fourth week out of our Book of Galatians sermon series, and I really hope you enjoyed this message. And if you did, please, I invite you to tell a friend, um, share it to someone you know, post it on Facebook or Twitter, or just let someone else know that, hey, I thought this was interesting, and I think you would too. So I pray that you were able to be moved by today. And hey, if you enjoy this message again, please share it. And if you wouldn't care, come join us one Sunday morning. We meet every Sunday morning at 11 o'clock here at our Corbin campus. Um, Check out our website website at www.17scc.com. And hey, I thank you again for joining and enjoy. Hello, good morning. Well, if uh, the sermon will come up, there it is. You almost got lucky. There it popped up. Okay, it was... I'm just kidding. It, it was being, it's been hateful with me the past few weeks. But good morning, everybody. Again, welcome to 17th Street. Thank you guys so much for being here. Happy spring! Yeah, let's celebrate a little bit today. I didn't even know it was spring, and apparently I have spring colors. I thought it was tomorrow. Marvin spoiled it. Spring's in three minutes? All right. Someone start the clock. <laughs> We've got uh, Kyle, you still got the fireworks? So that's next week. Um, we'll, we'll celebrate here in a minute for spring. But, um, but good morning, everybody. Thank you guys so much for being here today. If you're watching online, uh, my name's Mike, and I'm happy you chose to spend your morning uh, with us. Um, today, we're going to be continuing on with this conversation through the book of Galatians. Uh, Just kind of recap a little bit over the past few weeks. The first week we talked all about how the gospel should be our number one priority in life. And the question was, is it? Is the gospel your number one priority in life? And there's the sermon went. I've got to back up. Is the gospel your number one priority in life? The second week we talked all about how we are saved not just by works but by faith. And by grace. The whole point, if you remember from a few weeks ago, was works don't make us a Christian. We work because we are a Christian. That's the whole point. And sometimes we get that confused. And then last week, we talked all about the law. We talked about God's commands. And the whole point was the law points to Jesus. And so I asked you, I gave you some homework last week to go and read, uh, read through the Sermon on the Mount, look at the Ten Commandments, and really ask yourself, what commands are you falling short of? Because, you know, grace is an awesome and it's a wonderful thing, but I don't think God wants us to take too much advantage of it. He still has given us a life. He's given us a rule book. He's given us a life that we are supposed to be living. And the question is, are you living the life he has asked you to live? Church, I'm going to be honest with you. 
Every single week, we do a memory verse. We do some memory work. I've challenged you this year to get into the Word. Um, I'll be honest, I don't have the memory verse memorized this week. I'm just going to be honest with you. So all of you who didn't either, um, now you're like, finally, I'm off this week. But those of you who did, good job. Uh, Hey, you did did better than me. But if you did do it, I'm going to read it. Recite with me out of the book of 2 Corinthians. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you... On Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. We've been called to be ambassadors. I don't know if you've realized over the past several weeks, I've said this a whole lot, that we are supposed to be an advertisement for our faith. It's another way to think about it. What are you advertising about our God? Um, Church, today we're going to continue on with this whole conversation in the book of Galatians, and we're going to kind of go back to the whole theme of the letter. Um, today is kind of the whole theme, and the theme is grace. And we're going to talk about that. Um, you guys know me. I like my movies. I talk about them way too much, enough to where sometimes you probably get tired of me talking about them. Um, I love movies. About a year ago, I started a journey that is taking a very long time, just Ash Jenna. I started a journey to where I, I was going to watch every single film that ever won Best Picture at the Oscars. The first picture was all the way back in 1929, and my goal is to eventually have a shelf full of every single movie that won Best Picture. I'd be like, that right there is the best movies ever made. That's a goal, and it's taking a long time because a 1920s and 1930s film is not my cup of tea always. It's something I don't really grasp, but I love, I love all of that form of entertainment. Well, today, I'm gonna talk, I want to talk to you a little bit about the movie that won Best Picture, we're going to fast forward, in 1959. I played some trivia the other day with some of our church members um, on that bus ride Mark was talking about, and um, they actually got it right. Um, The movie that won Best Picture in 1959, you may have watched it, was Ben-Hur. You may have watched the movie Ben-Hur. You may have seen the remake in 2016. You may have watched the original that came out in 1925. Um, That was a silent movie. Um, Some of you may have read the book that came out in the 1800s. I'm not going to ask if you were there or not, but some of you may have read and watched those movies. This movie is fascinating. I want to talk a little bit about it today. The reason it's fascinating is this came out in 1959. At the 1959 Academy Awards, it won 11 Academy Awards. No movie has ever passed that. And there's been a lot of movies since 1959. There's been two movies that tied it. The third Lord of the Rings movie and the Titanic, both of them won 11 as well. But no movie has ever won more than 11 Academy Awards. The movie is three and a half hours long, so get your popcorn. The movie took nine months to film, six months to edit. It took seven years from when it was first announced to plan the entirety of the movie. The movie had 365 speaking parts. That's a lot, <laughs> if, you know, if you don't know a lot about movies. The movie took over one million props to create. There was over 100,000 costumes used in this. Those of you who volunteer for the costumes at the live nativity, imagine. <laughs> 100,000 costumes. There were 10,000 extra, extras used in this movie. There was 110 minutes of music in the movie. It's the longest score ever composed for a feature film. It's a cool movie. You should, you should go watch it. It's known as a religious epic. It takes place during the time of Christ, and he's seen throughout the whole movie, but we never see his face to show reverence of, <coughs> of Jesus. The whole movie is about a man by the name of Judah. Um, he, he is a, he's a powerful merchant um, of Jewish descent, and he ends up you know, making people mad. He's thrown into slavery, and he, he gets thrown in this ship, and he's forced to row for like three years. He's a slave. He's robbed from his people, and he's put at the very bottom of the totem pole. Well, one day during a battle, the ship is, is under siege, 
And the man that was in charge, in charge of the ship, the Roman general, he goes out and saves his life. The man who had control of his very life, he goes out and saves him. The Roman general is so happy, he goes, you are now part of my family. He takes the ring off his finger a few years later, he gives it to him and says, you now are a part of my family. And whenever they go back to Rome, the, Judah, he has all the abilities, he has all the resources that a Roman would. This man who was once a Jewish slave can now do and have anything he wants because he was adopted into this very powerful family. Sound familiar? You know, I think families have a lot to do with what we do in this world. I mean, whether you love them or hate them, we can't disagree that there's powerful families in the world today. And if you belong to a powerful family, you have extra rights, you have extra resources. I'm going to read a few. Now listen, you may love some of them, you may hate some of them, but I'm just going to name a few. If you're a part of the Bush family, you have power. If you're part of the Clinton family, you have power. If you're a part of the Trump family, if you're part of the Ford family, the Vanderbilt family, the Rockefeller family, these families, they're recognizable. They have resources, they have power, they, they can do almost what they want to do, Right? Let me tell you something. If you're here today and you are a Christian, you've given your life over to following Christ, you are a part of the family of God. Uh, let's, let's say that again. You are a part of the family of God, the God that breathed the universe into existence. You are an heir to that kingdom. So why don't we act like it? Why don't we act? Like you know when there's certain families, they have a certain way they walk and live, right? They do what they want to do. Why don't we act like we're heirs to the kingdom that God has promised us? Some of us still act like we're enslaved. And when I use the word slavery today, I don't mean that to be, you know, I don't want to disrespect anybody because that's still a problem in our world today, even in our country today. You know, sex slavery and child slaves, and it's still a serious problem. But some of us act, we live our lives like we're still shackled. We're still enslaved. If you are a follower of Christ, you are an heir to God's kingdom. So let me ask you this question. I believe it's in your bulletin. Do you act like you're an heir to God's kingdom? Or do you act like you are still in chains? What is your normal everyday life? Let's kind of define these a little bit. What, what does an heir have? Let's just think of an heir. Don't think just of it as, you know, as a religious, um, this type of setting of, you know, heir to God's kingdom. Let's think about if you're an heir of a kingdom in general, like, you know, you're part of a wealthy, you know, royal family. You have, there, there's some things you have. You have standing. You know where you're going. If you're part of a power family, you probably have been told your whole life what you know you're going to be doing once you get older. Um, you probably have confidence. You have influence. You probably feel purpose because people tell you you have purpose, you have a job. You probably feel loved. You know how to love. You have a mission. You have peace knowing that no matter what happens, at the end of the day, you've got everything you could need because you're an heir to a powerful kingdom. But what about someone who's in bondage? You have no standing, no authority. You have no power. You have no home. You have no name, you have no security, you have no promise of tomorrow, you have no self-worth. In that movie, um, before that ship goes into battle, they walk through the bottom of the boat and they chain every single um, slave at the bottom to the boat, so where if the boat goes down, they all go down with it. 
Church, do you live like an heir or a slave? Look at Proverbs chapter 3, verse 25. says, Have no fear of sudden disaster or the ruin that overtakes the wicked. Have no fear of sudden disaster. Verse 26, For the Lord will be at your side and will keep your foot from being snared. Look at Hebrews chapter 10. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to preserve. You need to preserve so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. Well, what has God promised us? If you're an heir to God's, that sounds cool, don't it? Well, so what does that mean? What have we been promised? Let's look a little bit. Look at Matthew chapter 11, 28. It says, come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Rest. Verse 29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. We've been promised rest. Some of us aren't resting. John 5, 13, the man who was healed had no words who he, who he was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. We've been promised healing. We've been promised rest. So I want to encourage you today, if you've given your life over to Christ, let's act like it. Let's act like we have the things we've been promised, because a lot of us, we still act like we're enslaved. And that makes us a bad, ambas a bad ambassador for our God. We're going to kind of move forward into chapter 4 today, if you want to be opening up. Um, he's going to use the term redeem. It's a legal term, you know, when it talks about slavery, that when a slave was set free by someone who paid the owner their full price. Tim Keller says this about slavery. Here, the slave master is the law. Jesus pays our full price to the law. He completely fulfills all the law's demands on us so that he is able to free us from it. You have been set free. No amens, whatever. <laughs> no one cares. If you have given your life over to Christ, you have been set free, church. And, but yet we're not living like it. There's another movie. This is the last movie when I'll talk about, I promise. There's another movie called The Shawshank Redemption. Many of you probably watched it. Great movie. And it's funny because there, there's, a, there's a couple prisoners in the movie where eventually they're set free. They're set free and they get to go off into the real world. And yet now that they're finally, they've been enslaved their whole life, they have no idea how to live. There's one instance where a man, he, he, he's set free, and he hates his life because he's been in bondage for so long, he doesn't know what to do. He's contemplating on committing a crime. That way he can go right back to his comfort place. Some of us have been enslaved for so long, we don't know how to live now. It's time to start acting like an heir. The gospel brings us into a home with a loving father, and that father is God. Let's read today. We're going to be Galatians chapter 4. We're not going to read a whole lot. We're going to start <coughs> excuse me, in verse 1. This is what it says. What I am saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, we read this last week if you remember, because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, 
but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. It's great scripture. We have been paid for. (laughs) We have been set free. Paul uses the Aramaic word Abba here. It's a term of endearment. It's the term of, of it's almost like baby talk, almost. It's like that lovey feeling. Whenever we, we, this relationship we should have with our God should be one that's emotional. And it's not just, you know, the dad just gives us stuff when we ask. It's the one where, where we feel, oh, we just love him so much. You remember back when, when if you're married now, or if, you, if you've been married, if you've ever been in a relationship, remember those first few weeks? And like the person could do no wrong, right? Remember those? That infatuation stage, and it's all lovey and dovey and everybody. The honeymoon phase. Remember those days? I see some grins. <laughs> That's the way we're always supposed to feel about our God. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, spirit that calls out, Abba, Father. In, in, in Ben-Hur, when Judah is given the ring by Arius, that was the Roman general's name, he gives him that and he says, you are a part of, of my family. You are now my son. And here are the privileges that you get with that. At the end of the movie, he even returns back to his home and people still have to treat him differently because he's been born again into a new family. I think the reason Paul uses this phrasing is because something, you know, Jews and Gentiles of the day, he would have really understood the the act of adoption. God has changed everything for us just as Ben-Hur's life was changed. John 14, 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Church, is there anyone here today who feels like you're still an orphan? Not in the literal sense. You still feel like you're enslaved. I think it's time we start acting like the heirs of the kingdom that we've been promised. I think it's time we do that. So how do we do that? How do we live a life like an heir? Some of us have identity problems, and today, hopefully, we're going to fix them. How do you truly live like a child of God? I put this question on Facebook the other day, which is always dangerous because you never know what's going to happen. Because um, when I use this word heir, we kind of think about, you know, like a, an earthly kingdom, right? You know, if you're, if you're an heir to a kingdom, you know, there's wealth and influence and power and everything. Well, I'll put this question on Facebook, and I want to read you some of the responses that I got from it. I, I put this question on Facebook that said, uh, the exact phrasing was, um, what would you do if you had unlimited amounts of resources, power, and influence? And I got 11 responses. This is what they said. First one said, take a day off. I thought that was funny. <laughs> Help people, I'm not, many, of you, many of these are from you all, but I won't, I won't call anyone out. Help people who are in help, help people who need help. Give to God and let him multiply abundantly, exceeding beyond. Save the hungry and the hurting. Find a cure for all cancers. Make sure all kids have a loving and safe home. Give to the poor. Give the gospel to the world in their native tongue. That's a good one. Now here's my brother. Step one, buy Bitcoin. Step two, convince other people to buy Bitcoin. Step three, sell Bitcoin. Step four, become a Chick-fil-A CEO. I don't know. That's the preacher brother, by the way. (laughs) And the number, and the last one, all kids, animals, and elderly have a safe place, a safe and kind place to live. That's what people would do if they have all sorts of power. Let, Let me give you a little bit of a secret. You have access to more power than you realize. Let's do something with it. This is how you live like an heir. The first thing is this. We need to start asking in confidence. Ask in confidence. Mike, what do you mean? 
I think, imagine, let's kind of, if I woke up tomorrow and I was the prince of Abu Dhabi, I don't know. You know, I wake up and I've got all this power and all this stuff and whatnot. And there's something I want. I'm like, hey, Dad, can you, can you get this for me? He's like, well, sure, son. We have unlimited resources. I'm going to ask very confidently, aren't I? Because I know that whatever I ask for, he's going to give it to me. Some of us need to ask God with more confidence. Some of us, the only reason we pray is because it's what you're supposed to do. It's what we're, we're told to do, and if we didn't, we got in trouble. Well, the preacher man said pray, so we pray. Well, if all you're doing is praying for your food and travels, you're not praying good enough, church. I'm not trying to be rude, but we need to ask in confidence. We need to start expecting that God will move when we ask him to move. If you're not expecting it, why are you praying in the first place? Right? Hebrews chapter 10, 35. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to preserve so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. This week, in your prayers, when you pray for something, live like it's going to happen. I think a lot of times the the reason God doesn't answer our prayers is because we're not meeting him. Uh, He meets us where we are, but we're not going out to meet him. You pray for your health, but you don't do anything about it. Why would he bless that? You pray for peace, but you don't pursue him daily. You don't read. You don't pray. Why would he give you peace? You pray for joy, but you don't do anything about it. Why would he bless you with joy? You pray for this church to grow, but you don't want to do anything. You just want to come to church. Why would he bless that? We need to pray in confidence, church. Number two, take a stand. If you start thinking about, you know, maybe all the big nonprofits in the world, like, you know, the big ones who, you know, give a lot of money, they do a lot of work. I would like, I, there's a good chance behind all those organizations, like I'm talking about the, the billions and the billions, there's someone rich and powerful in the background that's making that move. It's almost like any time a disaster in the world happens or any type of, you know, inju- any time something goes on, people want to hear from the powerful, right? They go to their doors like, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? Because they want to hear their thoughts. Because they know with a stroke of a pen they can get stuff done. We need to do the same thing. You are an heir to the God who breathed the universe into existence. So we need to take a stand as well. For, when, for the things that God deems worthy. You are a child of the king. 1 Corinthians 16, be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, and be strong. If you knew that tomorrow, that no matter what you took a stand for, it would, ha- it would happen, and God would bless it, you would probably do it. Well, maybe that's the re- what God's waiting for, church. There's some injustice in your life that you know you're passionate for, that you know God really wants to move, but, but it's, just, it's scary and it's fearful. Maybe he's just waiting on you. Take a stand, because you have influence. And don't put this one up there yet, Corey. <laughs> Number three. I'm going to sound selfish for a minute. If I woke up tomorrow... I was the prince of Abu Dhabi. I don't know. Is that even a place? <laughs> there we go. Well, I'm the prince, so if you didn't know. I woke up tomorrow, I won the lottery. Church, I'm going to be very honest with you. I would do some good things. You know, I, I'd do some donating. You know, I'd buy a few things for some people. Probably invest a little bit, you know, protect the future. I, you know, I'd do some smart things. I'm going to be completely honest. We woke up tomorrow and me and Jenna won the lottery. I want to buy a new car. I'm just being honest. I'm going to get me a new car. If I woke up and I was the prince of a nation tomorrow, we're getting a new bed. I'm sick and tired of our queen-size bed. We're getting a king. We're getting a California king. We need to splurge. Mike, what do you mean you need to splurge? We've been promised 
so much stuff by God, but yet we won't enjoy it. If I was the prince of a nation tomorrow, I'm going to enjoy it a little bit. I'm going to be honest with you. Why aren't we enjoying the things God's given us? We're too upset. We're too sad. We're too... No wonder nobody wants to come to church. We need to enjoy the things God's given us. Well, Mike, what do you mean enjoy? What's God promising? He promised us rest. He's promised us peace. He's promised us a life after this life. Romans 5.1 says that, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus. John 16.33, I've told you these things so that you may have peace. In this world, you're going to have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. You know, you can have, you go home today and you enjoy the nice spring day. You sit on your back porch or you get in your recliner and you pour your glass of lemonade and you take a sip. And even though you've had the hardest week of your life, you've got terrible medical news, you've gotten terrible financial news, you turn on the news, you get bad news there. But you sit there and you relax for a second and you know, I'm a child of the king, it's going to be okay. You enjoy that lemonade a whole lot more. I don't think we're taking advantage of what God's given us. He's promised us peace and rest. Why aren't we resting and having peace? That that, that just bugs me. And listen, I'm guilty too of this. I stress out way too much in life. We talked in Sunday school today about how God says, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. He takes care of the birds in the sky. Aren't you more important than a bird? I I think so. Unless it's a peacock. But... Let's live a life, church, that makes other people want to come to Christ. Let's pray. Father, God, will you forgive me? God, will you forgive me for not taking advantage of being your son? God, I'm sorry. God, help me to be more confident in you. God, help me to have more faith in you. God, help me to take a stand for the things that you need moved in this world. And God, help me to enjoy it. God, I don't just pray that prayer for me. I pray that for every single one of us in this room. Lord, help us start acting like heirs. Please. God, I love you. And I ask for forgiveness. And Lord, I pray that today, if there's someone here today who just is ready to take that step to start acting and receiving the things you've promised, or if they're just, that sounds great and they want to be a part of it, Lord, move on them right now and let them know that you want them. God, I beg of you. Lord, I ask this in your son's name. Church, is there anyone here today who's tired of acting like you're in chains? You've given your life over to Christ 40 years ago, but you you don't feel like you're free. You're not enjoying the things God's promised you. You're not acting like a person who's an heir to the kingdom of God. If that's you today, and you're like, I am ready to turn around, I encourage you to come forward. Let's, Let's rededicate today. Let's pray for you today. That way you can start enjoying the life God's promised. But if you're also here today, and you've not, that sounds awesome. (laughs) There's an unlimited amount of seats at the table, church, for God's family. And if you want a seat, I I would love no more than to introduce you to them. And you're ready to take that step, wouldn't you come? Would you stand and as we sing, hey, if you're online and you need to make a decision, send us a message, post a comment, and say, hey, today I am making a change. If that's you, you need to talk, come, let's sing.